Well, today we're beginning a series in the book of Ruth, and if you're looking for that, it's right after the book of Judges that we just completed. So if you turn in the Old Testament to the book of Judges and go one more over, you'll find Ruth. Now, I've chosen to take us through Ruth because having just finished the book of Judges, we have a very good understanding of the context in which Ruth takes place because it happens during the days of the Judges. Now, as we look at Ruth, it's going to be like going from Google Earth where you have that broad satellite view all the way down to the street view. Because what we're going to be doing today and in the weeks ahead is we're going to be focusing on one family. As we go through Ruth, the story centers around one family. And what we're going to find is the book of Ruth is not a book of cold facts or doctrine. Instead, Ruth is a beautiful love story. It's a story that communicates God's truth in the lives of ordinary people like you and me. Somebody this morning asked me, uh, is this going to be like Judges? Because, you know, that was really kind of depressing. And uh, I'll tell you that the book of Ruth does start in tragedy, but it will end in triumph. In fact, as we go through this book, some have said that Ruth is the chick flick of the Bible because it reads like a romantic soap opera. And in it, what we'll find is the story of God's great mercy and redemption for all of us as it takes place through the lives of Ruth and Naomi. We'll also find in this story another key character, a man that we're going to meet by the name of Boaz, and he is a type of picture of the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. We'll see that Boaz was the kinsman redeemer, a term that you'll come to understand and one that points to what Jesus Christ did for us. If you've ever read Charles Dickens' classic, A Tale of Two Cities, it begins with the words, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. If Dickens were writing the introduction to the book of Ruth, he would simply say it was the worst of times. As we read in Ruth 1, verses 1 through 5, it tells us, Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Mahalon and Chilion. Ephrathites of Bethlehem and Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and they remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. And they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. Then both Mahlon and Chilion also died, and the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. Now as the story begins, it's kind of like reading a newspaper article. It's just quick, clean, and cold. You can almost hear Joe Friday's words here. Just the facts, ma'am. And so let's look at the facts for a moment. We're told in one one that this happened during the time in the days when the judges governed. Now, the judges' period, as you might recall, was from 1380 to 1050 B.C. This was a, a, a very dark time of idolatry, decadence, and lawlessness. It was a time of chaos in Israel's history. One that we saw was summarized at the end of the book of Judges in 2125, where it said, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, as we saw in the book of Judges, and this will be the last time you get to see this slide, is that there was a cycle that took place for 350 years. It began with sin. The nation, as you'll recall, would go into idolatry. They would turn from following the true God of heaven, Jehovah, Yahweh. And as a result, they would go into a time of oppression. It was a period of slavery as the foreign nations took over the land 
and oppress the people of God. And God was doing this in order to drive his people back to himself. It was a period of discipline. He wasn't saying, I'm through with you and walking away, but what he was trying to do was turn them around back to the way that led to him. And ultimately, people would suffer to the point that they would turn to God. There would be a time of supplication, prayer where they would cry out in repentance. And as they returned to God, he would send a savior, a deliverer, a military person who would be raised up to lead the nation in victory over the foreign oppressors. And this would lead to a time of silence, a period of rest, where the land was free from oppression and the people were enjoying their time with God. But soon they would turn once again back to their sins and away from God. So this happened for 350 years. This is what we read about in the time of Judges. It's the background and why verse 1 says there was famine in the land. In the book of Deuteronomy, God warned his people that if they were not obeying him, he would withdraw his blessings, blessings that included the rain and the fertility of the land. And, and this is what Deuteronomy 28 tells us. It, it says that God would withhold the land, the rain needed to grow the crops in their land. And of those crops that managed to grow, God could keep his people from enjoying those. Back in Judges chapter 6, you'll recall that we read this in verses 3 through 6. For it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites would come up with the Amalekites and the sons of Israel and the sons of the east to go against them. So they would camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel, as well as no sheep, oxen, or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock in their tents. They would come in like locusts for number. Both they and their camels were innumerable, and they came into the land to devastate it. So Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the sons of Israel cried to the Lord. As the people are brought low, as they're brought to this time of slavery and oppression, it says that they would eventually move to supplication. Now, that was that time of repentance, but sometimes rather than repenting and turning to God, what the people chose to do was to try to go around God, to try to find relief on their own. And that's what we see this family doing here in Ruth. I wonder how many of us have done something similar. How many times have we tried to run away from God? There's a... a, a period of discipline in our life. There's a period of consequences that comes because of the choices we've made. And does that cause us to turn back to God or do we try to go around God and find relief some other way? When we come back to God, that's called repentance. The word repentance in the Bible literally means to change your mind. And along with that change of mind is a change of will and action. It's not enough simply to have regret and say, I'm sorry. But repentance means that there is a change in our life. The word is it means, it literally means to stop. You stop in your thought process and you stop in your action as well. And then you turn around, you make a U-turn. The picture is if you, if you picture yourself standing with Christ at the cross, when you're in fellowship and in a relationship with God, when we are with him, sin is when we turn our back on God and we walk away from him. And repentance means we come to a point where we've been walking away from God and we realize we're far from him. We're far from fellowship. And so what we do is we stop and we turn around and we go back in the direction. We move away from our sin and we move back to our Savior, back to God. Now, sometimes rather than repenting and doing this, we we instead choose to run away from God. Instead of stopping and turn around and going back, we run from God and we move toward our sin. 
Now, when we do this, we might find relief or maybe even some enjoyment as we spend some time in our sin. But ultimately, we will find that we are left empty and even worse off than before. And this is what's happening with this family here in Ruth. We're told in verse 1, they left Bethlehem and Judah and they, to sojourn in the land of Moab. Now, during the Advent reading, you heard that the, the name Bethlehem means the house of bread. The house of bread was what Bethlehem was known for. It was an agrarian area known for its fertility. But what we read here is that there's irony because there's a, there's a famine. There's no bread in the house of bread. And Elimelech, who is the breadwinner of the home, says, my family is going to starve to death here. I've got to leave and I've got to go find somewhere. Later, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who is called the bread of life, will be born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. But what he does here is rather than turning to God, Elimelech decides he's going to take his family and he heads to Moab. Now, the reason he goes to Moab is it's the only place that a Jew from Judah in that time could go where there would be relative safety as well as food. If you remember during Judges, as we put up the map with all the tribes, all the way to the north were the other Israelite tribes. Now, they were also suffering under famine and oppression. They were disobedient. So if you were from Judah, you didn't go north. And you didn't go toward the west, toward the Mediterranean Sea, or to the southwest, because there the Philistines were in control of that area. And you didn't go down to the south because uh, the Amalekites were down there and the Midianites. We just saw in Judges 6, they were coming up and they were attacking the land. So the only place you could go was to the east. You crossed over the Jordan and the Dead Sea area and you kept going to the east, to the area where the Moabites were. Now, it's not that Moab and Judah were great friends. Do you remember in Judges chapter 3, we met a man by the name of Ehud? Ehud was the left-handed judge who went in and killed Eglon, the king of Moab. Do you remember that story? And what happened, as we saw there in Judges 3, is that after Eglon, the king of Moab, was killed, there was a period of rest for 80 years during that time. So God brought about a, a tentative peace between these two areas. So this is where we find this family going, over to the east. Now, it's interesting that they leave the house of bread to go to Moab because as you read Psalm 60 and verse 8 and Psalm 108 verse 9, God says, Moab is my wash pot. The word wash pot literally means the garbage can. It's where you would take your food scraps and you would scrape them off into the trash can before you would do the dishes. And so what happens is, uh, Elimelech leaves a house of bread to go eat out of the garbage can. But he's doing it his way. He says, God can't take care of me and my family here, so I'm going to go and I'm going to find a, a counterfeit. I'm going to go to the garbage can to eat. Now, it's similar to the story in Luke chapter 15. There you'll recall that that's the story of the prodigal son. Do you remember the prodigal son who turned from his father? the one who represented God, and he went off and he lived in a life of sin. And it was fun for a little while, but ultimately what happened? He hit rock bottom to the point that he was feeding pigs, a Jewish boy feeding pigs. And he was starving and he was so hungry, it says that he longed to eat the slop that he was feeding to the pigs. He ate out of the garbage can. And he came to his senses. He repented. He said, I need to turn around and I need to go back to my father's house because the servants are treated better than me here. And so he went home. He went back to his father, went back to God, and he repented. And he was received back as a son and restored at that relationship. 
And the same thing will happen to, in the book of Ruth, as Naomi will eventually return to God, and she will be blessed, as we see as we go through this story. But at this point in the story, we're still at the running away part. So they head from the house of bread to the garbage can 50 miles to the east. And in verse 2, we're told who makes up this family, the ones who are taking the trip. Now, I've told you about the man named Elimelech. And his name literally means, my God is king. Melech is king and Eli God. Elimelech, my God is king. And yet we see that here is a man who says God is king through his name and his words, but his life says anything but that. His life says he can't trust God. He's the breadwinner. And he says God isn't coming through. And so the guy who says my God is king decides to become his own God and king, to take control and to head to a place where he thinks he can take care of his family. How many of us here are like Elimelech? How many of us say, my God is king? And we say, you know what? I can trust God for all eternity. I've placed my faith in his son, Jesus Christ, so I know when I die here on earth, I know where I'm going. I'm going home to heaven. My eternal destiny is set. And yet, you know what? I can't trust God for today. Does that describe anyone here? How many of us say we trust God for all eternity, but we can't trust him to take care of us in the day-to-day things we're going through? You know, as we look at this situation, I'm, I'm not making light of the hunger that is here. We can look at Elimelech and say, hey, at least he's a guy who's willing to do what it takes to take care of his family. He realizes they're going to starve there in Bethlehem, so he says, I'm going to go and feed my family however I can. But as we look at this legitimate need that he and his family have, is he really turning to where he needs to to have that need met? Or is he, through his own control and counterfeit solutions, creating a more desperate situation? You know, as you think about this need that he faced, it's one that Jesus Christ faced as well. If you read Matthew chapter 4, you'll see where when Jesus Christ, God became flesh and blood, As God walked the earth with us, you'll remember in Matthew 4, Jesus went through a period of fasting for 40 days. Have you ever barely eaten anything for 40 days? Do you know how hungry you would be? And so Jesus, we're told, was was desperate with hunger. And at that point, he was taken into the desert by the devil to be tempted. And one of the temptations that the devil gave to him was he said, if you're truly the son of God, prove it by turning these stones into bread. He said, hey, look, you're hungry. You're God. You can, you can take care of the need. You can prove your God as well as meet your own need. And what did Christ say to the devil in response? Jesus, as, as he was dealing with him, said that, that you don't proceed. He says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. One commentator says of this passage, regardless of how consuming his hunger was, Jesus would rather be fed with the smallest crumb of his father's word than to indulge in an entire landscape of fresh bread from anywhere else. Yet as we look at Elimelech, he doesn't go that route. Rather than turning to God, rather than saying, God, we're in this period of famine and discipline because we've sinned and run from you, and if we will just turn to you, you'll bless us. But rather than going that route, he runs away. Instead of turning to God where the real and lasting solution was, as God was under, had his people under discipline, he, he says, I'm going to go to the garbage can. You know, Elimelech was a farmer. 
And thus he knew the principle that when you sow, you will reap many times over in a successful harvest. And as you look at what he was sowing in his life, this solution that he had come with with on his own, what would it lead to? What would he reap many times over? Well, as you look at when you know this through your own life, when you sow a small act of disobedience, in time you can reap a large and lasting consequence for your your choices, can't you? And that's what happens to Elimelech. He and his family, they they go off to the garbage can to eat. And as as we look at this story, I want you just to consider this for a moment. As you you think about these, these folks we're looking at, what about your own life? What are you planting in your own life right now? What road are you running on? What are the choices that you are making? And if you think down that, if they multiply and and lead to the end, what are you going to harvest in the end from your choices? What is it you're cultivating today? The wrong direction will always lead to the wrong destination. And if you think about the road that you're on, where does it lead? Does it lead you in a U-turn relationship back to God where we need to be? Or does it lead you farther from him? You know, if you give the devil an inch, he'll try to take you a mile. And if you give him a foothold, he turns it into a stronghold. It's been said of sin that it will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And it'll cost you more than you wanted to pay. And that's what's about to happen to Elimelech. He said, we're just going to go and sojourn. We're just going to go for a little while over to this land. The, The word sojourn means to dwell as an alien, to live as a stranger or a guest in a place. What it tells us is Elimelech wasn't planning on filing for citizenship in Moab. He said, we're just going to go over here for a little while until God can get his act together. And then we're going to come back home. But we see that his temporary uh, sojourn in the land becomes a permanent place for him and his sons as they end up being buried in that foreign land. Now, I've told you about Elimelech. Let's look at his wife, Naomi. Naomi's name means pleasant, lovely, delightful. Isn't that a wonderful name? Pleasant, lovely, or delightful. Now, the boys' names are not so nice. They're old Canaanite names. Mahalon has a root meaning of to be sterile. It means unhealthy or puny. Chilion's name means failing or annihilation. It describes one who pines or whines. Now, in that day, names often reflected personality traits, religious beliefs, or circumstances of life. So you can tell as these boys are born, things are not going very well. Now, we're told that the family were Ephrathites. Ephrathite is the old name for the town of Bethlehem. And what that tells you is this is the old money crowd. These are the established families. These are the ones who have been there from the beginning. And so this is the old money family. They were part of the elite and powerful. But as times became tough, they couldn't depend on their own resources. And so the father whose name means my God is king said, my God can't provide and I have to control things. I have to do it my way. And so he heads to Moab. It tells us, now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Before we get there, I want you just to think for a moment about the last big family trip you took. Those of you who remember the old road trips, and some of you are in that stage right now where you load all the kids into the car and you take a long, long road trip. How fun are those? Well, they can be fun. But if it gets too long and the kids are kind of getting whining and different things, so picture the the trip here. You've got the kid named Whiny on the back of the camel, right? (laughs) 
So he's going, are we there yet? Are we there yet? He's whining. Then there's puny. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Can we stop at the Dead Sea Diner? When are we going to eat? And the whole time, Elimelech, my God is king, is yelling at everybody to be quiet. Don't make me stop this camel, right? And then you've got Mrs. Pleasant. She's sitting there besides Elimelech, smiling, swallowing all the bitterness, swallowing all the worry. She says, we're leaving our home. We're leaving my friends. We're leaving everything we know to go to this foreign land. It's a great trip, isn't it? And there's Elimelech. My God is king saying, we can't trust Jehovah to take care of us because if we stay there, honey, we're going to die. We're going to die in the land. So he takes control and he heads off to this foreign land where verse 3 says, then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. Elimelech found out he wasn't in control. He said, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to take care of things. And he dies. And if we're those who think we can be in control as well, James 4.13 and following tells us this. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we shall go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Friends, we don't have control. We think we're in control sometimes. We think we've set the destination in the road. But what God says is you really have no control. So what are you trusting in today? You know, how different could this story have been if Elimelech had not tried to run from God, but instead he and the nation had said, we need to turn back to God. We're in this time of trouble and discipline. And if we will respond the right way and return to God. But Elimelech chose instead to run the other way and he ends up dying in that pagan land. Now as we look at his sons, we see they don't respond in the right way either. Dad is dead. They could have said, you know, Mom, we need to go back. But instead we're told the sons go farther down that same road. In fact, what they do is they sink deeper roots and they say, we're going to settle here. We're going to marry Moabite women. Look at verse 4. And they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years. When they married these Moabite women, they were actually marrying distant cousins. The Moabites were a race that came from the line of Lot, Abraham's nephew. If you read Genesis 19, there you'll find the account of how God spared Lot and his family. Do you remember the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah? The city was so wicked and God came, the the angels visited and they said, you need to leave the city and they took them out. And you'll recall as Lot and his family were fleeing the city, the wife turned back to look. And as she did, she was turned into a pillar of salt. So all that survived were his two daughters and Lot and they were hiding in a cave and the girls thought the whole world had been destroyed. And so they're there with their father and they're thinking, this is it. And, and we're going to die childless. And, and instead what they did was they also said, hey, we're going to take control. We've got a solution to this problem. And they got their father drunk. And they slept with him. And through this incestuous relationship, they both conceived children. And what the Bible tells us is one of the boys was named Ben-Ami, which means son of my people. Ben-Ami, this is where the Ammonites 
came from. The other boy was named Moab, meaning from my father. And this is where the Moabites come from. So as the boys marry these Moabite women, they're marrying distant cousins of the nation of Israel. And in time, both of these lines, as they grew up, the Moabites and Ammonites became enemies of Israel. They, they moved further from God, and they became enemies of the nation. Now, in Ruth 4.10, we're going to find out who married who, because there we're told that Mahalon married Ruth and Chilion married Orpah. Now, I've told you the meaning of the other names, so let me give you these. Orpah is a name that means talk show host. That's actually where she got her name. They just transposed the letter. So actually what Orpah means is the back of the neck. And we're going to find that she ends up matching her name because later in the story, Orpah will turn her back as she goes back to Moab. Now Ruth lives up to her name as well because her name means beautiful or personality. The, the root of the name is Ra'a. It literally means friendship. And so she is a lady that will also live up to her name because she's going to be the one who shows her great loyal love to Naomi and sticks with her through the story. Now, after being married about 10 years, we're told here that the boys also die. Remember, there were four from the family who left the house of bread because they said, God can't take care of us here. If we stay here, we're going to die. Elimelech dies and the two boys die. There's only one of the original family left. As you think about the irony here, it should, it should cause us to stop and say, what are we doing? Are we saying, we can't trust God, but we've got a better solution? How is that working out for this family? The ones who said, we can't, take care, we can't trust God to take care of us or we're going to die. And they took everything into their own hands and suddenly there's only one of the original group left. How many of us here this morning are depending on ourselves, trusting in the stuff of the world rather than turning to the true God? Friends, do you really think that you can do a better job with your life than God can do watching over you? Think about the things that many people put their, their faith and security in. We can lose our jobs, our health, our money in the stock market crash, businesses can fail. What is it that we trust in? What is it that we think we're in control of? You know, if you were in the place of Naomi and you had just lost your husband and two sons, where would you turn? She's in a foreign land. Where does she turn? She's flat on her back. She has nowhere to look but up. And she finally says, you know what? I need to go home. I need to repent. I need to return back to God that we ran away from. In verse 6, we're told, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the land of Moab, for she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. The key word here is return. She returned to her home and to God. Now, how easy do you think this was for her? Remember, she's been there 10 years now. When she left home, she had a husband and two sons. And she's run away from home and she's been gone for over a decade. And now as she goes back, they're all gone. During that time, what God had been doing was applying the acid of suffering in her life. 
There were bonds that bound her to the land of Moab. And what God was doing was slowly breaking each one, burning them away until there was nothing left to hold her there. And you know, God does that in our own lives sometimes too, doesn't he? There are things in this world that that we hold on to. They've got to hold on us. And what God has to do sometimes is he has to break those bonds. He has to take things away. And we hold on to things so hard that sometimes God has to come in and he has to pry open our fingers to make us let go of things that are keeping us in a place that we don't belong, far from him because we found comfort or security or satisfaction in something of the world that is not where we need to be. And I don't know about you, but I found in my own life those times where I hold on to something really hard, it hurts a lot more when God has to pry my hands open. Have you found that out? But when we open our hands and we say, God, you take out whatever you want that doesn't belong, and it also makes us ready to receive what he wants to give us. And that's what he's doing with Naomi. He's burned away all the bonds to the land of Moab. And she hears that the Lord had visited his people. Now, don't miss the words the writer chooses. He could have said the rains had come. There was an upturn in the economy. The president and House of Representatives finally found a way to avoid the fiscal cliff. He doesn't say any of that. He says the Lord was faithful. You see, the word Lord is in all capital letters. It's the word Jehovah, Yahweh, his holy covenant name that is used here. After all the tragedy in her life, Naomi knew that God was still faithful. And friends, God promises to be faithful to us as well. In Hebrews 13.5, he says, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Even when we are faithless, even when we run far from God, what God says is, I'm faithful. I'll discipline you. I'll drive you back. I'll do what it takes to get you to make that U-turn like the prodigal son or like Naomi. But what he says is, I'm waiting. Like the father in Luke 15, I'm waiting with my arms open wide, watching and hoping my prodigal son or daughter this morning will come down the road and come back. And Naomi, who had run far from God, said, God is still faithful. And while we were over here trying to find our own solution in this foreign land, God provided the food back in the house of bread. 2 Timothy 2.13 tells us, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. And even though Naomi and her family had turned their backs on God in the land of promise, she knew that if she would go back, she would be welcomed home. Because Yahweh was a covenant-keeping God. So verse 7 says, She departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Now when Naomi returns, we're told her daughters-in-law don't just see her off at the airport. They just don't say, Bye. But it says they plan to go with her. And, and, and they're on the road and they're walking with her and they're going and they're going. Now remember that these two Moabite women are widows as well. The boys, their former husbands, are dead. There's nothing to tie her, tie either one of them to Naomi. Nothing except love. 
All the legal bonds are broken. There's no requirement, no relationship that exists other than the relationship that has been established between this mother-in-law and these girls. And it tells you something about this woman, Naomi. The way that she treated these women, she made them family. She loved them. She treated them well. Now, if I had more time, I could go from preaching to meddling here, and and I could ask what your relationship is with your in-laws. Either the parents, if you're the children, or you as parents with your daughter-in-law, your son-in-law. What does our relationship look like with our in-laws? If all the bonds were suddenly broken, would, would they want to remain around us? Would they want to stay in contact with us? You can take it a step farther and remove from just the in-laws to your own children, your own family members. What does your relationship look like? Is there a step this morning that maybe we need to consider taking to try to fix some hurt from the past? Parents, do you need to restore a relationship with your adult children? Children, do you need to give forgiveness to a father or mother who's hurt you? Is there some extended relationship that maybe we need to, to say to God, I, I need to do something here. I need, to, I need to have repentance in my life. I need to recognize I was going the wrong direction. I need to stop. This morning you're thinking right now, the road has been the wrong destination. Do you need to turn around? And if so, what is the action that has to accompany that? Now here we see these girls wanting to stay with Naomi. And as we look at Naomi, she's all that's left of the prodigal family that originally left Bethlehem. Now next week, we're going to pick up the story and see what happens with her and the girls. But you know what? You don't have to wait to find out. You're allowed to go home and read the rest of Ruth. It's not that long, and you'll find it's a beautiful story. Now, as you're thinking about going home this morning, I want to ask you this question. How many of us need to do that today when it comes to God? How many of us need to go home today? How many of us have been running away from God this morning and you realize today that you need to stop, that you need to turn around and you need to go back in the other direction? Is there anybody here this morning that needs to do this? It just requires repentance on our part. It it requires us saying, you know, God, I've been going in the wrong direction. I've been running from you, but today, God, I realize I need to stop. And I need to turn around, and I need to come back. Now, maybe some of you, as you walked in here this morning, you're saying, but God, God doesn't want me back. Roger, I am so far from God. I've been in such wretchedness and sin. God would never have me back. Friends, that's a lie of Satan. Read Luke chapter 15. Read about that son and how far he had run from his father, And how at the moment he was willing to come home, God was there waiting with open arms to welcome him home. Remember that Romans 5.8 tells us that God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were far from God in rebellion, turning our back on him, it says Christ died for us. Christ came to restore the relationship. And 1 John 1.12 says that as many as believed in him, he's given us the right to be called sons and daughters of God. If we will just stop and turn around and come home. Now, maybe you're saying, you know, Roger, I'm not that far from God. You know, yeah, my walk with God isn't quite what it should be, but, you know, I, I'm here every Sunday. I'm doing all the things. 
You know, in the story of Luke 15, there was another son. Do you remember him? He represented the religious leaders. He was, he was the one who was doing all the right things. He had the rules and the ritual down and everything. But he was, he was far from his father as well. And the offer was open to that boy to come back home as well. He told his dad, you've given me nothing. I've slaved for you all these years. And, and he, he said, what I have has always been yours. You just didn't ask. You two were running the wrong road. But if you'll turn around, you'll come to me. If you'll have a real relationship. Those arms were open wide waiting for them as well. Is that us? We may be the prodigal son far from God. We may be the one who says, I've, I've lived a pretty good life. But our walk isn't quite what it needs to be. Regardless of which one it is, whether we've never come to Christ or we've run far from home after coming to faith, forgiveness comes through the sacrifice that we remember today as we come to this communion table. As we come to the communion table today, what it does is it reminds us of how God restored our broken relationship, of what God did to to bring us back to him. As we come to the communion table, it reminds us of the bread of life that came from the house of bread, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ left his throne in heaven to come to earth. And the reason that Christ left his throne in heaven to come to earth was to become the baby of Bethlehem that we celebrate this Christmas season. He became the baby of Bethlehem to ultimately become the Christ of Calvary the one who would go to the cross, who would pay the penalty of sin and death that I owed and you owed for your sins. And in a moment, you're going to hold a piece of bread representing the bread of life. God's son who took your place to die for your sins. And as you hold that, if you've never come to faith in Christ today, I invite you to take that piece of bread and say to God, God, I am a sinner And I've run far from you. And today, God, I'm repenting. I'm stopping. I'm turning around. And I'm coming home. God promises if you will do that, he will receive you as a son or a daughter. He'll restore the relationship. As you take the the cup representing the blood of Christ, it reminds us of our sins that have been washed away through his blood. So take and hold those elements. And this morning, come to faith in Christ if you've never accepted his great gift. And for the rest of us who have done that already, we need to say to God, you know, God, maybe I haven't run as far from you, but my walk with you hasn't been what it should be. And today, God, I want to come home too. I'm turning around and I'm coming back. Will you restore the relationship? First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As the men pass the elements, take and hold them and use this time to confess any sins you may have, to say to God, I'm restoring my relationship with you. Men, will you serve us, please?
we hold in our hand a reminder of Jesus Christ, the bread of life, who came to give his life on the cross so that we might have the gift of eternal life, eat it in remembrance of him. And as Jesus walked the earth and was seen, I, I mentioned the time where he was tempted in the desert. You recall there was also the time that he walked to be baptized, and John the Baptist saw him coming. And John pointed to Jesus Christ, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Bible is clear that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin, and we're told that Jesus Christ shed his blood to be the perfect and permanent sacrifice to wipe away every stain of our sin, the blood of Jesus Christ, drink it in remembrance of him. Will you join me, please, as we close in prayer? Lord God, we thank you for your great love for us, your love that will pursue us, your love that will be waiting for us when we're ready to turn around and come home. I pray, Father, for all of us here this morning that talked to you and told us that, told you that we've, we've been running far from you, that today we want to come home. That, Father, as we walk out of the door here today, we would, we would feel that relationship that has been restored. That we would know the truth that you've removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. That you have given us full and complete forgiveness. That our sins have been washed away by your blood. Father, may we walk out of here this morning free and clear. Not just in the account with you, that's already been closed, but in our minds. May we know, Father, that we've been restored. In this Christmas season, as we celebrate you, Jesus, the baby of Bethlehem coming, may we remember to share the great news that you are the Christ of Calvary, who gave your life to free us. Help us to share that good news. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. There are prayer leaders at the front if you need somebody to talk to, to pray with. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. 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 Love and serve the Lord.